This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Uh, if you'd regather your seat, uh, we've got a very special moment, a uh, bit of a sad moment. Um, if Lauren, uh, uh, Lisa and Adam could come. What's your name? Lisa and Adam could come forward. Um, now, Lisa and Adam have decided to uh, move and uh, uh, move to Byron Bay, which on a day like today is sounding pretty appealing, I've got to say. Um, now, uh, Lisa and Adam have been members of our congregation, very precious members of our congregation for a long time. Um, Lisa, when did you start coming to St Mark's? I came to St Mark's in 2010. In 2010? Yes. Yeah, and uh, why did you come to St Mark's? Well, I was living in Albury, I was married at that time, um, and then, you know, life changed a little bit for me, and ended up being a single mum, and I met Adam at the parish dinner in 2015, and in, and in 2017 we were married, so we're like the St Mark's um, success story, would you say? It's true, def definitely, definitely. What, is, what has being part of the St Mark's community meant to you? Oh, over this past 10 years. Wow, so much, so much. I have really felt the love and support of St Mark's, of this community um, and the fellowship, and we are going to miss you all. Um, it's just been amazing for me. You know what I've been through, and um, I couldn't have got this far and have met Adam and without St Mark's, really. It's been a big part of my life and our lives now, yeah. yeah. Um, would you like... Uh, Adam, so... Um, you get to talk as well, yes. Um, so, um, how did you come to St Mark's and uh, what I does it mean to you? I came to St Mark's in 2015, uh, just before I met Lisa, just before the parish dinner. dinner. Uh, and I've lived on the North Shore for many years, sort of 20, 25 years. So, uh, sort of relocated back to the eastern suburbs and uh, decided to look for a congregation and found myself here at St Mark's. So, sorry, yep, there you go. I'm not good at microphones. Um, so, yeah, relocated from North Shore and came back to live in the East and, yeah, was pointed here through uh, a friend and obviously uh, have felt very welcomed in the sort of, what is it now, you know, five, six years we've been here. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's sad, but it's also exciting, I think, for us. Um, an opportunity came for us to build and run a business in Byron. And, uh, so you've got to tell us what that business yeah. is so that when we're in Byron, yeah, we take right. advantage of this particular business. It's it's called the Coop Rotisserie and Larder. So when you want a beautiful roasted chicken in Byron, you come and find us. Um, You've written that down. Yes. So, okay. yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, Lisa is uh, a very passionate food person and it's my professional background. So we decided that uh, it was a good opportunity for us and uh, we're going to give it our best shot. And for Lisa, it's also a bit about moving back to where she grew up, really. Um, and for me, an old Sydney boy... Uh, it's sort of escapism from the, the five, six million people who call this home now. <laughs> and so how can we pray for you? I mean, there's obviously some things uh, to do with uh, the business going well. But how I else can we pray for you? I think for us, obviously, that we find our way with the business, that it finds its place in the community, and that we find ourselves a new church community there, which is a little bit difficult in that part of the world. Uh, Christianity is not something that is probably um, celebrated particularly strongly in that part of uh, Australia. So we need to look and uh, your prayers for us to find a, a welcoming church there is important. 
and that I suppose for Lisa and I that we sort of move on to our next journey sort of post having children with us and uh, enjoy the sort of next sort of five or ten years of working life. And, and would you add anything, Lisa? No, I think Adam summed it up nicely. Um, well, I want to say on behalf of St Mark's how sorry we are to um, be losing you, um, uh, how much of a blessing you've been to uh, our community, how much I know people would, would want to express their appreciation for uh, your friendship and hospitality uh, and the many sort of acts of service and kindness that you've been able to uh, provide us here at St Mark's and the spiritual encouragement uh, I know that I've received from both of you in that time. And um, I'm going to commit you guys to prayer. Of course, uh, as I say, we're sorry, we're sorry to lose you, but um, we really uh, also want to wish you Godspeed um, and uh, a, a great landing in, in Byron. So let's pray for Adam and Lisa. Our Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we, we praise you for your goodness and your kindness, um, for the way in which you work in the thicks and the thins of life. And we, we thank you for your example, the example of the way you've worked in both Adam and in Lisa. We thank you for bringing them to one another and we thank you for their, um, their, their, their sharing of their lives with us here at St Mark's. We, we praise you for what you've done in them uh, here um, and uh, in their relationship. Uh, we, do, we do now commit them, though, to uh, their new home. We pray that you would uh, watch over their their business. We pray that it would prosper. We pray that they would find roots in the community there, um, that they would be warmly welcomed and they would be a terrific addition to what's on offer at Byron. We pray that uh, the, uh, that the reputation of that business would grow and that you would uh, give them, a, give them a, a pleasant landing in Byron Bay. But we also pray, Father, for uh, the provision of a church community, um, that they would find a group of Christians that can gather around your word uh, so that they can continue to learn and grow in the knowledge and love of you and of your son. And in Jesus' name we pray, knowing that in him we have a unity that distance does not thwart. Amen. Well, I'm going to break COVID rules and give you one of these. about to hear God's word to us as we have the Bible read and as Michael preaches. It's a tricky and challenging word today, so um, it's like every other day, it's good for us to pray, to ask for God's help as we look at it together. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for inspiring all scripture by the Holy Spirit, and so we pray that by your spirit, you would be with Michael and help us so to hear your holy word, so that we might become wise glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The reading this morning is from Matthew, chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. 
It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading today is taken from Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 to 23. My child, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, so that you may hold on to prudence and your lips may guide knowledge. For your lips are a loose woman, drip honey, and her speech is smooth than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as a wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not keep straight to the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, my child, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, or you will give your honour to others, and your years to the merciless, and strangers will take their fill of your wealth, and your labels will go to the house of an alien, and at the end of your life you will groan, when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, oh, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am now at the point of my utter ruin in the public assembly. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. You should, sp you, should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in your streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for sharing with strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth and a lovely deer, a graceful doe. May her breast satisfy you at all times. May you be intoxicated by her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, by another woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For human ways are under the eyes of the Lord and he examines all their paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare them and they are caught in the toils of their sin. They die for lack of discipline and because of their great folly they are lost. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the Holy Scriptures, for their precepts, promises, directions and light. In them may we learn of Christ, grasp his truth, and have grace to follow in his steps. Amen. By our very nature, we human beings are embodied creatures who are made for desire. We are made to want things, and these desires drive us. Now, some of our desires are bodily appetites, like the desire for food. Some of our desires are more psychological, like the need to be loved or the desire for success and recognition. But our erotic desire, perhaps the most potent of all our desires as human beings is both physical and psychological. It comes from deep within our bodies, driven by our hormones, but is also deeply tied to our sense of ourselves as who we are and who we want to be and who we want to be with. 
You can see this, of course, in marketing. The old cliche is that sex sells. And it's a cliche because it's, it's true. As always, the advertising industry tells us the brutal truth about ourselves, perhaps without meaning to. Erotic desire can sell everything from teeth whitening to cars. It gets us not just into bed, but out of bed and down to the shops. And that's without mentioning the glut of porn on the internet, that multi-billion dollar industry. And this is the problem that we find ourselves with. We're desiring creatures built for desire, but untamed desire, and in particular untamed erotic desire, is lethal to us and to others. It can put a wrecking ball through your life. As that great philosopher Albus Dumbledore once said, the trouble is human beings do have a knack of choosing precisely those things that are worst for them. So what are we to do with erotic desire? Well, one answer might be suppress it, put a lid on it, push it down. Many Christians over the years have thought that this is what to do with desire. They thought this is what the Bible was teaching them. And it's true of other philosophies and religions as well. It's the center, for example, of the Buddha's teaching. Buddha says, desire is the root of evil. He also said, if you are filled with desire, your sorrows swell like the grass after the rain. But if you subdue desire, your sorrows shall fall from you like drops of water from a lotus flower. In Buddha's thought, desire or tanha causes suffering or dukkha. So desire causes suffering. And what's the solution? We reach nirvana by subduing our desires. But for all this insight into the human condition, you have to ask, does it work? Perhaps there are some remarkable people for whom this is achievable, but is it really possible to switch off human desire? I certainly doubt it. And in fact, there's some evidence to say that suppression of desire makes destructive behavior more and not less likely. So is there a better way? We'll see today that the Bible offers a very different vision for us. Biblical wisdom is different. The book of Proverbs tells us not to stop desiring, but to desire the right thing, to point our desire in the right direction. In chapter 5, once again, it's one of those set pieces in which we hear the voice of a father, a Hebrew father, giving advice to his son. And he uses the case of adultery as an example of the destructive potential of misplaced desire. That it's a father talking to a son in this passage explains why you've got the male perspective here. But we should easily, of course, re reverse the genders and imagine a mother's talk to her daughter. We shouldn't imagine that the problem uh, reflected in this passage is simply a male one. But to be honest, it's a pretty frank sex talk. And the first thing he does, this father, is introduce his son to the person of the loose woman. That's the way our text puts it, the loose woman. In Hebrew, I don't actually like this translation. In Hebrew, the, she's not loose, but the strange woman, or even the foreign woman. 
We'll come back to this word because it actually adds a layer of significance to the passage that you and I need to see. But for now, know that this woman is intent on enticing the son to lie with her. And by the way, she's not a picture of all women and she's not just an attractive woman minding her own business. This particular woman is a woman intent on seduction. And the thing about her is that she sounds so good. She, she's, a pseudo, she's pseudo good, isn't she? Her, her lips drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. Oh, it's seductive and sweet what she says. The vision that she portrays is a, a very enticing one. Her promise is of sex without consequences, what the 1970s author Erica Jong, Erica Jong called zipless sex. She offers the Playboy Mansion, complete with a dressing gown and everything, a nirvana of pure sensual satisfaction. But her smooth talk, what is it like, really? It is sweet to the taste, but, says Dad, it's poisonous. And in the end, it leads you where? It leads you to death. The satisfaction that she offers you is fleeting, momentary. This lady takes you by the hand and destroys your life in verse 5. In verse 6, she herself is the embodiment of folly, the opposite of wisdom. She wanders round aimlessly without wisdom and she's not even aware of it. Oh, she looks sophisticated and intelligent. She speaks sweet words to you. And yet, she's foolish. So what's the answer? What's, what should the son do? Well, keep away. Keep away from her. Don't go her way. Don't listen to her enticements because listening to them will tear you limb from limb. It will wreak havoc on your life. The father says, keep to a path far from her. Do not go to the door of her house. The consequences are going to be played out in the most public of ways. You're putting on the line, says dad, your, your honour and your wealth and filling your life with regrets. It's an awful picture, that deathbed scene in verses 11 and 12. At the end of your life, you will groan. When your flesh and your body are consumed, and you say, oh, how I hated discipline. Now I'm at the point of utter ruin. Do I have to tell you how true this is? I've heard too many deathbed confessions filled with regret over this. I know that for many of us here, the consequences of sexual sin have caused us deep pain. Perhaps because of something we've done or something that's been done to us by someone else. The bottom line is, adultery and faithlessness in marriage are devastating. We not only lose the trust of our spouse, we lose the respect of our children, we force our friends to choose sides. Divorce, as we well know, can be financially ruinous and ruinous to your mental health. I've seen all of these stories played out many times. A friend of mine who is an academic prestigious, well-known academic and a really likeable guy, lost his job, his house and his reputation when he made a pass at a student. Another bloke I know had an affair and now his teenage kids won't speak to him. 
Another whose porn habit wrecked his marriage and left him with deep feelings of shame and regret years down the track. A woman I know had an affair and even now the consequences are still playing themselves out in her life, in her marriage, holding on to that by a thread. So keep away. Run a mile when the opportunity comes. On the work trip. At that party. In the secret tunnels of the internet. Just don't get closer to that man who seems so much more in touch with your emotions than your husband. Don't put yourself alone with the woman who keeps flattering you. What about the response of the sexual liberationist? Because you can hear that voice coming in at this point saying, look, from, look, it's the rules that are causing the problem here. And for much of the last century, there's been a concerted move to say we should all just relax. Why don't we just relax? Sex is just sex. You know, you and me, baby, as the song goes, we're nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do it in the Discovery Channel. Why not? The problem is we're confining sex under lock and key. The bad consequences have come because we've invested it with so much meaning. But even as I say that, you can hear its untruth. We don't actually believe it. We know instinctively that sex for both men and women flourishes best in the context of deep trust between two people, the kind of trust that good marriages can cultivate. And we know the damage that we can do to one another, even within consensual encounters. So, the father says, lying in the arms of the strange woman will unravel you. Just don't go there. Don't die saying, I wish I'd been more disciplined with my sexual self. It's worth noting, by the way, how the father makes the son responsible for his desire. He does not blame the strange woman. He doesn't tell her to cover up. The son's desire is his own, and he must discipline it. And how must he do that? He's to cultivate his erotic desire for his own wife. He's to direct his desire to her and not to another. It's remarkable to many people how positive the Bible is about sexual desire from both the male and female side. This particular passage is addressed from a father to the son, so we do talk here more about male desire, the perspective of this particular text. But the Song of Songs has chapters of the celebration of the woman's perspective on sexual desire too. The father uses here the image of water in a well. He says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Water satisfies the craving for thirst. One of the reasons marriage was created by God was for the satisfaction of our sexual cravings. But here's the message. Guard your sexual self and find satisfaction in the marriage you've been given, the cistern that you have, and not elsewhere. Now, the metaphor of the water is not a way of objectifying the wife as if she's the water from which he will drink. In verse 15, he talks about, the father talks about your own well. But then in verse 16, he talks about the springs overflowing into the streets, which sounds very much like what the boy has been warned against in the first part of the passage. That is his own sexuality. I think in verses 15 through to 17, that we have a general way of talking about the exclusivity of the marriage partnership. 
It belongs to the husband, the husband and the wife, and not to any other. It's not for sharing around. As Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the husband and the wife are defined mutual sexual, sexual satisfaction with one another. They belong to one another in that way. And they have, by getting married, forsaken all others. It's what we say in the marriage service. And forsaking all others. Be faithful to you so long as we both shall live. They have determined to find no other channel for erotic love than one another. And Proverbs gives us a beautiful and not very prudish picture of this, doesn't it? Did you notice? I'm sure you did. What's the son to do? He's to be intoxicated by his wife. Not to avoid intoxication. He's to be intoxicated by her. To let his fountain be blessed and to enjoy his wife's body. Not just when she is young, but when they have together grown old. So to husbands and wives, wisdom would tell us that we should practice finding delight in our partners and them alone. The key to this will be our contentment. Will be to practice our contentment in our partner. To thank God for them daily. You will be more deeply content in your spouse if you continue to thank God for them. And be responsible for your sexual self. Notice here, particularly, that the wife is not made responsible for her husband's sexual satisfaction. It's not her job to give it up when he wants it. The man is not depicted as a ravenous sexual beast who will go and commit adultery and who could blame him if his wife doesn't do what he wants in the bedroom. The wise father does not tell his son, go and demand sex more often from your wife because you won't be able to help yourself if you don't. This is one of the great myths that we men often put about, by the way, that we have a right to sex and that we have no choice but to take it when it is offered because we just can't help ourselves. We are seeing the devastating consequences of this view of male sexuality playing out amongst the young people of our city. You only had to read the paper yesterday to find out how tragic and devastating the consequences of this view of particularly male sexuality have, have been. The sheer damage that that has wrought. What have we done in teaching our young men this? That's not the vision here. Neither is it just say no. The answer is instead take responsibility and practice becoming intoxicated with your spouse and honour the marriages of others. There's so much more that could be said. I'm very well aware here that I haven't time to give a full account of the Bible's picture of sex, sex and sexuality. You might validly say today, what if I'm single? The Bible honours singleness, not just as a, as a second-rate station, but as a, as, as a fully dignified station of life, one that all of us will at one stage or another be, whether we be single or divorced or married or, uh, uh, sorry, or uh, widowed. Paul says that he, in fact, wishes that more people would choose to remain single. Such are the burdens and responsibilities of marriage. But God reserves sexual intimacy for the context of marriage, not because he is stingy, but because he is wise. Both married and single people 
need to practice sexual self-control. But there's more going on here than just a choice between foolish adultery and the wisdom of faithful marriage. We need to go back to that word in verse 3. Remember that word that described the woman? Uh, she was called loose in our English translation, but in fact, it, in fact, it more likely means strange or foreign. And that's a little bit of a clue for us. Down in verse 17, the same word is used and it's translated there, strangers. This is an important clue. Remember that this text was read first in ancient Israel. And that Israel were continually being warned against marrying foreign wives for themselves, not because of racism of some kind, but because those relationships would tempt them to following foreign gods. Israel was commanded to keep faithful to the Lord as a spouse and not to commit adultery with idols. They were not to forget what God had given them and allow themselves instead to be seduced by the smooth talk of the gods who promised whatever that might be, fertility or victory in war. The strange woman then is not just a symbol of the temptation to sexual unfaithfulness. She stands for the temptation to be unfaithful to the holy God and for what happens when we are unfaithful. She represents the deep foolishness of life without God. The consequences of spiritual adultery are ruinous when we seek to find ultimate satisfaction in material things or in wonderful experiences or in privilege and status. We are led down into the grave. We open ourselves up to destruction. Not just our desire for sex, but our desire for money, power and influence can kill us. They make us wayward. They promise us the world, but they satisfy us only for a moment. But there is, you remember, another woman in the book of Proverbs. Not just Lady Folly, the strange woman, but Lady Wisdom. And it is to her that we need to turn. We need to desire her. She's the one we need to want not the strange woman. It is the desire of her that we need to cultivate. And she too invites us to her house. In chapter 9 of Proverbs, we read about a party that she's throwing. Uh, she says there, or it says there, Wisdom has built her house. She's set it on seven pillars. She's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city, Let all who are simple, that's us, come to my house. Come to her house and feast there with her. Enjoy her. Enjoy her company. That's a party you really want to be at. The party of Lady Wisdom. So what do we do with this desiring part of ourselves? Our longings find their true home in God's wisdom. And so we need to immerse ourselves in his wisdom, to awaken our craving for it, to, to really stimulate our desire for God's wisdom, just as a young couple crave one another. As St. Augustine once prayed, our hearts are restless till they rest in thee. 
find a home for your restless heart in the wisdom of God with Lady Wisdom. By wisdom, we see the love that God has for us. A love that meets our deep need to know and to be known. A love that unites us to him. So that we are intimately connected to the one who made us. This is a love which finds its ultimate expression in the death of Jesus for us. Our lover loves us so much that Christ died for our sins. That we might be presented to him as a bride beautifully adorned for her husband. The New Testament uses this wonderful language of husband and wife to speak about our relationship with the loving God whose son dies for us. And in Lady Wisdom's house, we find too that even our sins of the sins of our sexual selves can know forgiveness and holiness. With the strange woman and her wayward ways, there is only guilt and shame. We find that we are destroyed. But in wisdom, with her, we find that we are cleansed and made new. We are pieced back together and given back ourselves, made new, made whole. So if you're in the grip of a sexual behaviour that causes you deep shame, or if there is something in your past about which you feel really guilty, hear the voice of wisdom. Hear her invitation to come to her house. Wisdom says, leave behind Lady Folly. Don't walk her way. But come to me, all of you who are heavy laden and weary, and I will give you rest. In Jesus, know the extraordinary reality of forgiveness. Know what it is to be cleansed from all guilt and shame by his blood. Know what it is to be truly accepted, honoured, lifted up, united to him by this faithful one who really loves you. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.